Welcome to Theology Thursday, an ecumenical space for students to discuss matters of faith and theology. I'm your host, Connor Grubbs. I am your co-host, Ryan Mock. And I'm your co-co-host, Johnny Grubbs. Welcome back to another week of Theology Thursday. We want to thank our Patreons for supporting us. If you're interested in getting involved in that, we have a weekly after show as well as a monthly podcast. Now, I want to, I want to clarify some things. We were talking about that monthly exclusive podcast for Tier 2 and Tier 3 Patreons being Worship Wednesdays. The idea would be that we go into contemporary worship songs and we kind of analyze the lyrics from a theological perspective. We decided not to do that podcast, and there's a couple of reasons. I was debating, one, this seems like something that like should be available to the general public. But two, is this something that all of our Patreons would necessarily be interested in? Just because you like Theology Thursday doesn't mean that you're really into worship music. So this may not be something that really adds value for you as one of our supporters. So another idea that I had had a while back and just kind of put on the back burner was that we would do book reviews, right? And that was just going to be for the YouTube channel. But uh, nobody really cares what we have to say about books. However... Uh, if you are supporting Theology Thursday, and you're into theology, and we're reading theology books, then this is like extra content that I think actually adds value for you, so it just seemed like a better fit for our Patreons. So the new monthly exclusive podcast is the Theology Thursday Reading Hour. Wait, so does this mean that me and Johnny have to read books? Do you guys not read books? Darn it. <laughs> Thankfully. No, I, I do read I do hire somebody to read me books. <laughs> My mom reads me bedtime stories at night. Does that count? My two-year-old reads me books. Does that count? No, I, I read books. I already have a book that I want to talk about. I do, too, actually. Yeah, that's I, how I that's, got on the show, was talking about a book. That's actually why, because I know you guys talk about books. And we are always like, oh, let's go through a book together. Let's talk about it. In fact, there's one that might be really interesting to go into just for our Patreons that you've been talking about. Ooh. You've been wanting us to study together. There'd be some hot takes in there. Yeah, but that's what they that's pay what for, they're though. paying for is the hot takes. All right. Well, we'll talk about it. Anyway, tier one is the weekly after show. Tier two is weekly after show plus monthly reading hour podcast. Tier three is all of that plus merch. Anytime we drop new merch, it gets sent directly to your door. Uh, it's just a way to say thank you for supporting us. So we do appreciate you all. We really do. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> my sub point this week is rather boring. I, I, I've taken on the sub point this week, but it's something that I, I was really excited about. Is it better than the cube rule? I, I guess it depends on who, who you're asking. <laughs> okay. I think it's better than the cube rule. Is it a taco? <sighs> if you're confused about the cube rule, listen to last week. But Connor, go ahead. John Foreman came out with a new album. I like it. Okay. It's... You like it, okay? Okay, I'm so just the, okay. Not it's it's great. called it's called Departures, and um, John Foreman, if you don't know, is the front runner of Switchfoot, but he also does some solo projects. Johnny, uh, what do you not like about it? Well, okay, I've only listened to it a couple of times. Okay, so there's that. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I like a song. And I'm trying to figure out how. I'm just talking about musically. I like a song that is pretty definitive, like with the vocals and stuff. And there's this trend of like, like kind of washing out the vocals and kind of like the music's all kind of like blend. It just seems washed out. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of songs with a lot of after effects. Like it's a little more atmospheric. and Yeah. The atmospheric stuff. And yeah. John Foreman's always done that. 
but like his last solo project was like four smaller albums, which is really what he like is what that was his first solo project. And there would be like three songs that were like folksy and like pretty clear, you know, and then there were the atmospheric stuff. And I was I feel like maybe 60 to 70 percent of this album is atmospheric and i kind of I, i'm more into like the um, jesus i have my doubts and like the other music on that that new record that's like it's acoustic it's him it's yeah sorry what do you think connor i like it you like it okay that's or do you your like sub it? no so 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 <laughs> I think that's an interesting perspective, though, because I would argue that even um, even Switchfoot's last couple albums have gotten more into that atmospheric kind of ambient sound. Well, I'm trying to think what their last, last record was. Um, uh, they did Voices, and then they did Where the Light Shines Through. Where the Light Shines Through, yeah. Well, I, 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 oh, Native Tongue is what the other one was Native called. Tongue. Voices was one of the songs on it. But, like, there's, I think... I think more than half the songs on those records are not atmospheric. Fading West really was. That felt like a very Fading poppy West album. Fading West was pop, you know? Yeah. Like, I really don't think... I don't feel like there's a lot of atmospheric stuff on there. Yeah, but t- to me, I-, I guess what I'm hearing is like that kind of washed out, like kind of blendy, ambient sound is very uh, prevalent in pop music. So you're not necessarily talking about like how pop does that. You're just talking no. about... Kind of a different, more of an indie style, I guess. I suppose. Doing that. I suppose. I don't know. I liked it, um, and I liked their last album, Native Tongue, a lot. Switchfoot's last album. Both of these, you know, some people like. There's like the debate of oh, Christian music. There's some great interviews with John Foreman recently where he's talked about that. Um, that like some of these bands should be like need to breathe. Or Switchfoot should be more blatant in their like Christian messages. Or whatever. Um, and I don't necessarily think that you have to... Not not every song has to be a worship song. Like, it's just... It's their own music. But I don't think Switchfoot has ever been ingenuine. No. Like, inauthentic. Like, they've always shared... And the way John Foreman writes songs, like, it's always coming from a sincere place. And because he is a Christian, sometimes that comes through. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. But anyway... This album in particular deals with doubt and faith and depression and a lot of these things. Like lyrically, I thought it was one right. of his stronger works. I agree with that. And I, I really love the lyrics um, of the album and I loved that he was delving deep, especially after this past year. Like A Jesus I Have My Doubts is such a great song. It leaves a lot of things open ended, but still bringing it to Jesus and like explicitly. I love that. And I, I think it's so short-sighted what a lot of people have done by, you know, I remember, especially back in the day when fundamentalism was a bigger thing and postmodernism hadn't, like, quite creeped in the way that it had, you know, people would be like, they're, they're a crossover band, right? They've, they've mm-hmm. crossed over into the secular world. And so people were like, well, that's cool, and, or, or it's not cool. The reality is they have the capacity to reach people that, like, we, like, in mainstream ministry will never have the capacity yeah. to reach They've been in places and club with, with with pretty explicit messages oh, yeah. of the hope that comes from the gospel, right? I mean, so I love their ministry. Um, they ministered to me personally. 
Um, so I, I love it. So if you're not a fan of Switchfoot, go listen to the records and John Foreman's solo stuff and Departures is pretty good. Yeah, I um I went to the Native Tongue concert when their tour came through Tampa, and just the the mix of people that you had in that room was very unique. Oh yeah. Um, uh, they've definitely reached a pretty broad audience, and they didn't shy away from you know the point of their music. And um, I think John Foreman's one of the better songwriters of our time. Like if if we're just talking about even from a lyrical standpoint, like his songs have always really resonated with me. Like that's some of my favorite stuff. So you said uh, John Foreman, and for some reason. My mind immediately went to about George Foreman. George Foreman, George Foreman Grill, which we had is growing up. You have the George Foreman Grill, and you make the burgers, and it like it has the juices coming out. I never listened to Switchfoot. <laughs> what a great story, Ryan! Will you listen to Switchfoot after talking with us? Um, maybe. Sure, I'll give it. I'll give it a listen, and then maybe, maybe next week I'll give you my thoughts. Do you listen on Spotify? Yes. Can I make you like a a playlist of specific Switchfoot songs? Yeah, like the best of yeah. uh, of their records so far. I think that would be a good start because then, yeah, do that for him. Yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna convert him, and I'll I'll even uh, I'll link it. Maybe I'll link it in next week's episode so you guys can can check out some of their best work as well. Okay. Ooh, I'm thinking of a couple songs by his solo album that you'll really like. Anyway, we should move on to the main topic. Um, so we've talked several times already about Ravi Zacharias. I did not think that we would be talking about this again, but we are. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, Ryan, I want you to reiterate something that you've already said a couple times, but I think it's a very important point before you move forward, is a lot of people ask the question, why does it matter? He's dead. You know, why are we bringing all this stuff up when he's not even alive anymore, when he's not even leading the ministry anymore? Could you speak to why that matters? Yeah, I think I think there's several reasons why this does matter. And I think the most important reason uh, is for the sake of justice. Like when we when we read about what Robbie Zacharias engaged in and what he did, um, he he violated people, and those people, while Robbie Zacharias is dead, those people are still alive. And so um, by, by bringing this to light and, and shedding light on, uh, on these issues, we, we are, I guess we are vindicating them. We are, we are sending them free from this uh, by, by at, least, at least talking about it. You know, if, if we were to just say, oh, Rabbi Zacharias is dead, let's not talk about it anymore, then what are we saying to those victims? Right. Uh, so I think that, that's, a, that's one of the biggest reasons uh, is for the sake of justice. You know, we want, we want justice. Um, and but also the other reason is that it just reminds us that uh, celebrity, the Christian celebrity culture is not good <laughs> overall. <laughs> right. Right. So um, and, and I, I'm doing this a little bit out of order. I, I want to speak to this as if this is your first time hearing about it. Um, and also just kind of a warning moving forward, if you have young people listening with you or whatever, that we're going to deal with some sensitive topics today. Uh, but it's important. So um, Ravi Zacharias, famous Christian apologist, um, passed away. It was last year, right, that he he, yes. he passed away. So um, shortly after his death, just a few months, there started to be these allegations of sexual abuse that arose. 
And just recently, in this past week, um, all of these things were confirmed and even more came to light. Um, Particularly things like him saying to some of the people that he abused, if you tell anybody about this, you will be responsible for thousands of souls uh, not coming to Christ. Um, So he's using his uh, authority, so to speak, even though he's not even a pastor. He doesn't really have any spiritual authority. Um, He's using... Uh, his position in his ministry... As a Christian celebrity. Yeah, there you go. Um, to manipulate people into not speaking up about the abuse. Um, and so, you know, a lot of messages and things were found um, on his phone and his social media and stuff. So all, all this stuff has kind of been confirmed, and it, it's just it's come back um, uh, pretty serious stuff. Now... Um, Ravi Zacharias wrote a lot of books. He did a lot of conferences, and it was I was always defending the faith. Um, you know, sort of this this intellectual, uh, this Christian intellectual that a lot of people, especially people who like to study apologetics, really put him up on a pedestal. And I'd like to note that just because somebody has a moral failure doesn't mean that everything they said was wrong. Like there's still plenty of things that he taught that. Or, or things that he, you know, wrote about that that have value, but like Zondervan is not going to publish any of his works anymore. Like mm-hmm. they're just gonna, almost all his stuff was published through them, and they released a statement saying that they're not going to do it anymore. And and people are like, well, you can't do that. This is part of history. It's like cancel culture. So it's really interesting to kind of see people's reactions of like. It's difficult because bad people can still pe- speak true things, but this there are consequences, you know, for actions. And so, um, it, some people have come up to speak. There's been on Twitter and a, a bunch of different things. This has become a big conversation since this came to light last week of how Christian purity culture and like bad teaching on sex and on purity has actually kind of contributed to this problem. Because Carl Lentz um, and some other people like we think of that are Christian celebrities that have fallen um, morally, um, basically some people have been sharing thoughts about why um, it's actually like Christian purity culture and teaching that was especially popular in the 90s and early 2000s, it seemed like, um, is actually really damaging and has led to some of this behavior. It doesn't excuse it, um, but it's it's from this framework that a lot of this stuff has been perpetuated. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, is sort of the bad teaching on Christian purity and sexuality. Johnny, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this topic. Well, I mean, I think for me, it was it was part of my journey, and I think even even as we talk, there's going to be some exploration here of like what is the right way of thinking and viewing this because. On one hand, you have the purity culture of, like, say, Billy Graham, who, like, said, oh, well, I'll never be alone with a woman and I'll always have somebody come with me when I'm on trips to, like, hotels and stuff like that. And, and, and on one hand, you wonder, well, could that have actually been a good thing, maybe in the case of Robbie Zacharias, you know, like, to have that level of I'm not even going to, like, create, like, a, a, a place for that stuff to occur – the flip side is you have the idea that, you know, it's all on the women in their presence and all this kind of stuff. And it becomes a little bit sexist. And it's kind of like, dude, why don't you just be a good 
pure, wholesome man, like just, you know, like operate self-control like Paul asks you to. So there's a lot of questions still I have surrounding this, but I certainly have been on a journey. When I grew up, I, I read I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and I was like, this is great. This is mm. this is the gospel, um, <laughs> you know, I, at least in the sense that I felt, you know, like this was the way to avoid um, a lot of sexual mistakes, you know, uh, because when you're young, when you're a teenager, there's a lot of hormones going on and, and a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was a great way, I, th- I thought at the time, to look at things objectively. The premise of Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye is basically, you know, like forget about you know, recreational dating, and and there's actually some wisdom in the book, but it contains these segments that were a a part of a lot of uh, purity conferences that were popular, you referred to, like True Love Weights and stuff like that, and that is that if you follow these guidelines, don't have sex until marriage, only hold hands, only court people, you know, versus dating people, if you do this, your sex life is going to be great when you get married. Um, you're you're not going to stumble, you know, because you'll get married and then you'll have great sex and then you won't need it anywhere else type of thing. Um, in so many words, these things were communicated in these books, in these conferences. Um, and Caitlin Beatty, a popular Christian thought leader, um, wrote a piece basically calling this, and I love the, the term, the Christian, uh, the sexual prosperity gospel, right? that the that Christianity preaches, right? We have the prosperity gospel, which says if you follow the gospel, if you put your faith in Jesus, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, if you follow Jesus in the area of purity according to their standards, maybe not really biblical standards, then you'll have a great sex life and you won't stumble. Well, that doesn't deal with the heart issue, right? Yeah. You can have all the Billy Graham things in place, but there was something fundamentally wrong on the heart level, uh, right. I think in terms of Robbie Zacharias, whether it was power, whether I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. Maybe he was on a faith journey. He was trying to convince himself of his faith. You know, I speculate that now, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that, that go on. And, and, and I, I start to wonder, we know on the surface level, modifying behavior does not result in sanctification, right? Sanctification results in behavior that bears the fruit of of the Holy Spirit. So we know this, and yet we bought into, at least around sexuality, because it was practical, because you could get a kid to wear a purity ring and and not have sex. We bought into uh, flipping the script and saying, well, modify your behavior, and then the fun will follow. Right. And and beyond even like behavior modification before marriage, I, I think people have been talking a lot about problems with how we teach how it works within a marriage how sex works right and so i'm going to quote these are these are books that were kind of written during these time period i'm just going to directly quote several these are books on marriage and sexual purity and you're going to see a very concerning pattern in fact going back and reading this i some of them i didn't believe were real but they are so uh one very popular one was every man's battle or every young man's battle they had this series um and in this it says, because of male hardwiring, men don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. We find another reason for the prevalence of sexual sin among men. We got there naturally, simply by being male. So teaching this idea that, well, God designed you that way to be to be horny, basically. Um, 
And immediately you're giving men an out, you know, yes. there's no responsibility. And it goes further because then it starts to place the responsibility on the wife. I can't believe some of these quotes that I'm about to read, but they're <laughs> real. This comes from Tim LaHaye. That doesn't surprise me. Tim LaHaye's um, a, a goofball. Uh, women must cultivate the problem of visual lust, whereas men almost universally must cope with the problem just because they are men. Every man's battle says, once he tells you he's going cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Okay, oh no, let, let, let me finish. I'm just going to go through and wrangle. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just wrangle off all the quotes, and then we can deal with this because there's kind of a. By the way, again, this is not safe for children. This podcast, but I'm I'm reading you quotes from Christian books on these topics that have come out. Um, Kevin Lehman wrote a few books about this, and he says he t- he. And in this, he wrote that wives should give husbands oral sex or hand jobs during their periods or postpartum phase because these are difficult times for the man. Oh, my goodness, Lord. <laughs> so, so now a husband can't be expected to withstand temptation by himself uh, when she's cramping, bleeding, or birthing a child. Uh, <laughs> this b- is because he was just designed that way. And, and this is what he goes on to say. Either you will have a love affair with your husband or somebody else will. <laughs> I have so much I, to say I, about I, this. I feel bad for this man's <laughs> wife. Uh, uh, Emerson uh, Egerich, in a book called Love and Respect, says the cold hard truth is that men are often lured into affairs because they are sexually deprived at home. So now it's the woman's responsibility uh, to keep the man faithful because if they're not giving him what he needs by his design, then of course he's going to go. It's in his nature. Right. Um, If your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So there's this assumption in all of this writing, too, that women don't have sexual needs or desires. Right. That it's just the man and that they must submit and surrender and give him these things, whether they enjoy it or not, because it's all about keeping him from having an affair, apparently. Um, But for a husband, sex is pure need. Not a want. It's a need. His Ooh. eyes, ears, brains, and emotions get clouded if he doesn't have that release. I wish I was done. Ugh. Then a, a quote from for women only, same author, to ex- tells women to accept the struggle he has with lust. If your husband feels you do not respect his struggle and his maleness, he'll pull back. So if he's not, you know engaged in your marriage and your relationship it's your fault because you're not giving him what he needs sexually by the way kind of interesting that these books were all written by men uh obviously men who had psychological problems um and there's another book called intended for pleasure that says the only activity that is to break regular sexual relations is prayer and fasting for some specific cause now they are quoting scripture there um, misquoting but scripture. they're uh, yeah very much misquoting it <laughs> um, and then the act of marriage which um, is another Tim LaHaye book uh, describes a husband who raped his wife while she was kicking and screaming on their wedding night as unequally happy as his rape victim because she had never embraced sex in their marriage so the only reason that it was rape was because she wasn't embracing 
the sex in their marriage. Oh my that, word! That is not a, good take. a book called His Needs, and 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 you wonder why I don't like Tim LaHaye. And a book says His Needs, Her Needs says he is pawing and grabbing because he needs something very badly. Many men tell me they wish their sex drive wasn't so strong. As one 32-year-old executive put it, I feel like a fool, like I'm begging her or even raping her. And these are <laughs> at these are like. We're, we're, we're talked about is this was just normal. This is just how God designed men. Now, um, these all came from Sheila Gregor. I think I'm saying her name right, but she's got a Twitter thread, and I was just reading quotes from books that she and I verified that these were the actual quotes from the books. And I had actually read the Tim LaHaye one and the Every Man's Battle one before, and um, and and I do remember reading it as like a young man, the Every Young Man's Battle, and being like. Oh, so it made it, it validated me and made me feel oh, like it's normal for me to struggle with sexual sin. But then it also made me feel like there was no reason to really try and fight it because that's just how I was designed, right? right. So I, just, I didn't. I just needed to practice self control until I got married, and then my wife would give it to me because that was her job, right? And that was another take in another book. Is like, well, you're if you're struggling say with pornography or excessive masturbation or something like that. By the way, again, not safe for work podcast um, <laughs> for today. But um, if you're struggling with those things, the best you know one of the best solutions is getting married. And it's like, well, no, because you may not be gratified in your marriage. And I think the common thread here, although I didn't realize how bad it was. Um, from those from those threads, but what I was going to iterate is the idea is that sexual gratification is a need of a of a man, right? Mm. We do not need to have sex. Okay, men do not need to have sex. We can go our whole lives without having sex and be fine. Um, there is a, but that's not what we have been taught in. Popular evangelical culture. Yes. Not to give Robbie Zachariah. Evangelical culture. Evangelical, evangelical culture. Evangelical these were culture. Christian authors. Every single one of those quotes. I, Christian authors. I just read these. These were things that were being taught. These were Bible studies that were being had in churches. And there's not really any scriptural basis for this either, right? I mean, not for the. No, to me, it men. sounds like it was just written by a bunch of really horny guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very, it's very concerning and very self-serving, right? Yeah. Too. Um, so. So and I don't want to give guys an out through this, but the reality is you're saturated in this all the time, right? Um, somebody like, you know, Ravi Zacharias, you know, in a moment may say, well, I, I, I need this or I deserve this. I'm not getting it here. When really you could have just said, well, you know what? Maybe, you know, maybe you're not getting it at home, but you, that may mean you're not going to get it at all because you made a covenant and that's right. okay. Get over it, right? <laughs> Like I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to be, but I'm just saying. Like, like we have to get away. For we can. I mean, if we believe in the Holy Spirit, for heaven's sake. I mean, we 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 can show self control in our life. Okay, we don't need. <laughs> I, 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 some of that stuff's beyond me. After giving birth, you expect your wife to to do things like that. You should be serving your wife. I'm sorry. No, no, no. This, <laughs> no, 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 no. this, this was a, a pre-marriage counseling book that was telling the woman to give her husband blowjobs and handjobs if she was having postpartum depression, because otherwise he'll fall into sin. Uh, other uh, in, and he'll fall into sexual sin. So, so it, completely taking the responsibility off of the man. I mean, it's appalling. Right. Well, 
And this was used in pre-marriage counseling in churches all across America. Well, I've been on a journey, right? I mean, for, for a while I bought into that, like, uh, you know, and certainly the testosterone and things like that, maybe you can make the argument that men have a higher uh, sex drive most of the time. Okay, that's a very important distinction to make because there are women who are wired with a higher sex drive. That's that's a thing that happens, okay? Um, there's just so many stereotypes here within popular, again, what, what Caitlin Beatty so well-termed as the sexual prosperity gospel. And I think that it's by buying into this idea that if I do X, Y, and Z, then I won't have to worry about temptation. Well, what about when your wife does give birth or she goes through menopause or all these kind of things, right? Not factoring that in. Um, the, you just, the list goes on and on, and all of a sudden, um, somebody like Ravi Zacharias or uh, Carl Lentz feels vindicated in what they're doing because a Christian leader told me that I need this, and my yeah. wife's to blame. Well, and, and I think a lot of people make a big emphasis on, like, well, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's just a sin if you act on it, right? Um, but I would argue... That if your wife is experiencing postpartum depression because she just pushed a human being out of her body, and the only thing you can think about is the fact that you're not getting any, you need to get over yourself. Like, there's a or, heart problem yeah, that needs to be Yeah, or go to therapy. With. Maybe there's a thing going on where, like, maybe you consume so much porn that your sex drive is higher than it should be or something like that. But, yeah, if if, if that's overriding... No, I mean, my point is, right. regardless of what, what the next steps are... That that reveals you, a heart issue. It reveals a heart issue. Yes, absolutely. It, 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 we, we ought to be dying to ourselves. The whole, I mean, that's that's what a good marriage is built on. Not you know the wife just giving us sex whenever we want. You it's woke built, womanly man. It's built on <laughs> on, on dying to yourself and serving to each other. I hundred percent agree. I mean, if you, I mean, listen. Okay, so sex is part of like motivation for getting married, but at the end of the day, it's not the core of a marriage covenant. And if you make a marriage covenant and never get to have sex, then that should be okay with that you. That should be an extremely small part of the motivation, if at all. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I, I see that more as a a, a a reward of that relationship rather than like something that that you you get to enjoy, but it's not the purpose. You know what I mean? When Joshua Harris walked away from his faith and kind of a when he kissed Christianity, when he kissed Christianity goodbye, uh, that's when Caitlin Beatty in 2019 wrote an article called, um, and it is in Christian headlines. I think it ended up being published in Christianity Today as well. But she wrote an article called Joshua Harris, Joshua Harris and the Sexual Prosperity Gospel. She describes that transactional thing of like, well, you know, if you stay pure, wear your purity ring, don't have sex until your wedding night, then you're going to have a great sex life. You're not going to deal with temptation. Uh, or if you do, it's okay. We'll fix your wife so that she <laughs> she fulfills your needs or whatever. You know what I mean? So, so there's all this thing kind of swirling around. Um, and, and she talks about a case of... of Right after they got married, um, uh, of, of, a, of a Christian couple that right after they got married found that um, sex was going to be painful for the wife and that they probably would not have a normal sex life their entire marriage. Right. And they were like, what do we do now? Like, like our whole the whole premise has been around the fact that, like, I'm supposed to fulfill his needs and we're supposed to have sex because that's going to vindicate all this time we wait. I like, what did we wait for? <laughs> you know, if... So, so the question then becomes, why are you 
being pure? Is it because the Christian sexual ethic is compelling to you and the Holy Spirit guides you in that? Or because you've been told that it's the way it is biologically or... I don't know. I think it's just, it's all muddled. waiting for your reward at the end of the right. rainbow. Once, exactly. you, once you have that wedding day, then all those problems disappear. Um, even Albert Moeller, which I have a complicated relationship with, <laughs> said, nowhere do the scriptures tell mankind that if we just do our part, not Siri, um, nowhere do the scriptures tell mankind that if we do, just do our part, God will do his, right? So mm-hmm. obedience is not a guarantee of a good life. The Bible shows that over and over again. Yeah. Um, so, I, I I don't even know where to begin. I, I think for me, when I when I st- when people started tying this to Robbie Zacharias, I want to do more research. Is like, how, probably yeah. I mean, like this culture, you know, certainly created a. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, a platform for this to occur. You know, it made it easier for this to occur, perhaps, but I wonder if he, you know, drank the same Kool-Aid. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, is there's no guarantee that this culture is what led to these sort of actions, but it certainly leaves room for it, Yeah, you know? Um, and, And I just... We have to use our critical thinking skills, because for me, growing up as a young, as, like... In the church, right? In this culture, it's like, well, if somebody hands me a book, well, they, there's Bible verses in it. It's, this is great, you know? And I just kind of bought all of it as it was given to me. And, and, and for new believers or young believers, like, we have to do better as far as mm-hmm. the resources that we're giving them. And as far as just, like, training up people in the church to, as they're reading books and as they're hearing things, to use their critical thinking skills, to test these things by the Scripture. Because just reading some of those quotes from books that were used in our churches that were written by leaders in evangelical culture, that should reveal that evangelical culture is not infallible. There are a lot of deep-seated problems in the American church. Yeah, and, and yes, I do think that some of the moral failings of leaders are a symptom of that. Yeah. I think Harrison's, uh, or Joshua Harris's departure isn't surprising when you frame it under the sexual prosperity gospel. And some of these failings aren't surprising if you're telling men that if your wife isn't satisfying you, poor you. Like, they're the victim all of a sudden, right? Ravi Zacharias may have felt like a victim, um, and then in doing so created victims. Here's um, the quote from... The couple that was uh, went to a psychologist in Wheaton that was a Christian, and she said that not being able to consummate our marriage was a source of pain and grief and anger towards God. I had to process the assumption that if I that by saving myself for marriage that I would receive from God the blessing of a good sex life with my husband, and I didn't receive that. Um, and then Beatty writes on her own, when prosperity teachings failed to pan out, it not only puts the, uh, puts the teaching in question, it also calls into question the very goodness and faithfulness of God. And if you read like Harris's work, he ties faith and his own framework so closely together that I'm sure, I am sure when he found out that he was a misogynist, <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that that's, and he will say that too, and, and that he found out, I'm, I created this misogynist cesspool of teaching, you know, and then all of a sudden he was like, well, 
I, you know, that's not, I don't want to be part of faith if that's, you know. So he tied that to his understanding of God, is what I'm trying to say, you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's interesting, because a lot of people hear us, you know, maybe challenging some of these teachings and resources, and uh, are like, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're a liberal, or you're this, or you're, you know, <laughs> whatever, like, no, we are so committed to true biblical purity that we won't settle for something like this. This mm. is cheap. It's inauthentic. It's Walmart brand. And the Bible calls us to so much better. It calls us to holiness. Um, and this isn't that. <laughs> this whole thing, you, you know, purity culture, it was motivated by a commitment or a conference or a set of ideas that are not biblical at all. And I think it reveals a bigger church uh, a bigger problem in the American church today, and that is that we are not tying our sanctification to a genuine relationship with God, right? Jesus said, and it's hard to teach this, I, I know, but it's the truth. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? We follow a Christian sexual ethic, and I do teach kids, you know, to wait until marriage. I waited until marriage. I'm so glad that I did. I don't think that it it's going to give me a lifetime of sexual bliss, okay? I, I don't think that. And I don't think I, I, I'm owed that or that I deserve that. Um, I did it because I love Jesus. I walked away from situations that I think may have been inappropriate before I got married because I was thinking of Jesus, right? I was thinking of the sexual Christian ethic that is laid out by Paul the Apostle. I, I, was, I was thinking about my relationship to Christ, not this is the right thing to do, or this is, it is, but because of who Jesus is, you know, not because of any sort of hormones that I have, or, you know, I'm going to be fulfilled or vindicated or my word. No, it's crazy. But it's also reveals, I mean, we could go on and on. This reveals a whole problem too with, um, it's been politicized, but, you know, there was that whole thing about toxic masculinity and things like that, and um, we have misdefined gender roles. I don't think that everything kind of blends together, but... Um, yeah, I actually have some things that I want to share on the after show. Okay. Ooh. So, um, specifically, I actually want to dig much deeper into the Billy Graham rule. So, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting discussion. So, Patreons, I hope you're ready. Uh Here's the deal. Um, I really recommend, we've talked about this book several times, but Holy Sexuality by Christopher Yon. Because, um, or Ewan? Is it Ewan? I think it's Yuan. I don't know. It's Christopher Y-A-U-N. My buddy Chris wrote a book. And <laughs> it's called Holy Sexuality. My buddy doctor. <laughs> um, it, it's really good. But um, I, I think uh, to just kind of... To summarize, like our our, I, our identity should not be rooted in in sexuality, right? Yeah. And, and it's we, we go so hard after the LGBTQ plus community, all these things for, for them doing that. But as Christians, we've done that as well. We really have. Um, for young people who are struggling, we've we've dealt with it by you know by attaching identities to these things, and and, and it. Sex was never meant to be that. Um, so live a life of holiness because it that's what God wants, you know, not uh, because you're expecting anything in return. I guess that's really the main 
takeaway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from today, if we were to summarize it. Um, so uh, thank you, as always, for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing our Patreons on the after show. Ryan? Yeah, yeet. <laughs>